Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Colored Red. This will be the second historical murders case that I'll be covering. Um, I have several references in this case, including Denver Murders, which is a book written by multiple authors in 1946, Mountain Murders by Betty Alt and Sandra K. Wells, and Murder in the Mile High City by Linda Womack, as well as Colorado State Penitentiary Archives and the Colorado Historic Newspaper Collection, particularly the Craig Empire Courier. This was a case that was very sensational and controversial at the time and was front page news for many months. So a lot of the details ended up getting warped. There are a lot of conflicting details about this case and I'll do my best to bring them up as I go along here. In January of 1928, police detective Leo O'Laughlin married Pearl Milliken. Leo O'Laughlin had a 10 year old daughter named Leona. So his name was Leo and his daughter was Leona and an older daughter named Fanny. Pearl had an eight-year-old son named Douglas. The combined family lived at 2320 Tremont Street with Leo's brother, Frank. The living arrangement wasn't working out too well, and the newly married couple had separated three times in the 20 months that they were married. On the evening of Tuesday, October 14th, 1930, Pearl O'Laughlin prepared a dinner, as she usually did, and served lamb chops, potatoes, and rice. Other reports claim that the dinner was fish, and that's kind of an off- odd detail that there appears to be some confusion about with different police reports. This night, Leo later testified that Pearl had refused to give her son any of the rice that she prepared when he asked for it, a detail that would later come to make more sense. After dinner, Leo returned to work at central headquarters of Denver Detective Bureau, where he was a detective. He would never see his daughter alive again. At 10 p.m. that night, Pearl O'Laughlin came to the house of her friend and hairdresser, Mrs. Ethel Spar, and told her about her evening picking up another friend and taking her to a doctor. And she also told Mrs. Spar about her plans to later pick up Leo from work around midnight. The following morning, Leo left for work around 7 a.m., yet returned home at 10.30 a.m. violently ill. At this time, Pearl informed Leo that she had not seen Leona that morning before school. Her uncle was, at the time, supposedly the last person to see Leona alive, and she had come downstairs the morning of her disappearance before school and told him that she was off to visit her friend, Betty Scott. When she didn't return home from school and was determined to not have ever arrived at school, they began to search the neighborhood without Leo, and he was ill in bed. Soon after Leo fell ill, Pearl also became ill with the same stomach issues, though not nearly to the extent that her husband was. Leo then called his partner, Detective Clarence Jones, and had him put out a missing person bulletin for his daughter. It was immediately considered that Leona had been abducted by someone who was out for revenge against the detective. They pulled convictions and arrest records associated with Leo O'Laughlin in the hopes of generating potential leads. He attempted to leave and assist in the search, but collapsed in pain. They kept him in bed for a couple of days before admitting him to St. Joseph's Hospital. An interesting tip came from an employee of the Colorado National Guard who claimed he saw a girl tied up, gagged, and struggling in the front seat of a car that went through Golden, Colorado. He could provide a bizarrely detailed description of the driver and car. It would later be discovered that the car had suitcases in the front seat covered with a white sweater, and exactly how the eyewitness mistook those for a girl tied up and gagged was a mystery, especially considering his very detailed recollection of the car and driver. Of course, nothing came of this lead. Also around this time, a neighbor named Amos Johnson was questioned, and he said that he had heard a terrible scream that Tuesday evening, 
but didn't investigate it further. Reports came flooding in with tips that Leona was, among other things, captive of a gypsy band in southern Colorado, that she was spirited away by kidnappers seeking ransom, and that she had been seen in Kansas, New Mexico, Nebraska, and Utah. Fortune tellers came out of the woodwork to offer their solutions to find the missing girl. On the same day that Leo was admitted to the hospital with his stomach pains, Friday, October 17th, William McLeod, a grocer, um, discovered the body of Leona in Berkeley Lake, which currently sits right across the street from Lakeside Amusement Park. Captain Albert T. Clark watched from the sidelines as law enforcement personnel retrieved the girl's body from the lake, which was just a few feet from the shore. She was dressed in her school uniform, and there was superficial head trauma in the form of gashes. No tire tracks were found at the scene, as well as no weapon or apparent disturbance of the shoreline. They actually attempted to drain the lake, but discovered that it filled too fast to be drained. Um, they dragged the lake and found nothing of importance. Captain Clark immediately phoned Pearl, who had gotten over her bout of illness fairly quickly, and she arrived smiling. Upon hearing that her stepdaughter had been found, she replied, Oh, is she dead? When they told Pearl that she was in fact dead, she said, Poor little dear. Following the news of the girl being found dead, there were many sensational articles released, particularly in the Denver Post, about the young girl's now abandoned puppy and pictures of her baby dolls in her room that the papers now described as orphaned. And all of this combined with the public murmurs about the stoic nature of the stepmother, Pearl, the, public, the public's interest in this case and the girl's mysterious murder really peaked. The autopsy report showed lacerations to the skull indicative of a concussion, and one report says that the girl died of drowning, as did many newspaper articles from the time, but her official cause of death was asphyxiation without any water in the lungs. Even more curious was the presence of ground glass in the girl's stomach. A full teaspoon and a half worth of ground-up glass had been consumed in her final meal. The time of death was determined to be within two to three hours after the final meal based on the digestion of the food, placing her time of death at around 8.30 or 9 p.m. With this information, Captain Clark made his way to St. Joseph's Hospital and requested that Leo's stomach be pumped. They discovered what Clark had suspected, ground glass in his stomach. The police then searched the O'Loughlin home and found little, but found blood on the exterior of the family vehicle, as well as a tire iron with a dark substance on it later determined to be blood. Some reports indicate that the blood was on the inside pocket of the car, another strange discrepancy. Of course, at this time in 1930, there was little else that could be identified from the blood, other than that it had come from a human. Upon hearing about his daughter's death, Leo O'Loughlin ordered a larger search of his own home and stated at one time that they could tear the house down if necessary. With a closer look, detectives found some small bits of glass around the cupboards in the kitchen and picked them all up with fine tweezers. They also found a small quantity of fine sand on Pearl's stockings hanging in the basement, which they later claimed was consistent with sand at the Berkeley Lake. When Leo heard the news, he sat in deep contemplation and mentioned that he had seen Pearl doing laundry the morning that Leona was initially missing, and that it was odd because Pearl always did laundry on Saturdays and not Tuesdays. Pearl, at this time, was brought into the police station and questioned more seriously about that evening. Pearl stated that she had gone to visit her hairdresser that night, and that she knew nothing about glass particles in the home. She stated that she had left a heating pad at her home and had to go retrieve it, making two rounds to the hairdressers and checking on Leona in between, who was still sleeping in her bed when she went home to get the heating pad. 
She later claimed that she never actually saw the girl in the bed because a bureau obstructed her view of the bed, making you wonder why she even would bother looking in. Giving this small amount of information, Detective, uh, District Attorney, excuse me, Earl Weddingal charged Perla Laughlin with murder. With these new charges, the Denver Post and the Rocky Mountain News called Perla Laughlin the smiling stepmother due to photos taken, taken of her constantly smiling. As soon as Pearl was arrested, there was a lot of public scrutiny about her arrest and whether or not they had gotten the right person. And at this time, the father of Leo O'Laughlin and Leona's grandfather, Dennis O'Laughlin, traveled from Fort Collins to tell them a story that would move the investigation deeper into controversy. Dennis O'Laughlin told detectives that he had been staying with Pearl and Leo at the end of August, one night while he was staying with them, he did something that others might consider unusual, but that he did out of habit. He ate two or three spoonfuls of sugar from the sugar bowl to satisfy his craving. He said that the sugar was gritty and sandy in his mouth and that he spit some out and sat down to think about why there was sand in the sugar. He decided to dissolve some in water and discovered that some of the particles didn't dissolve. Frank O'Laughlin, the brother, was also questioned about the evening and stated that he had not heard Leona's coughing that night and that it usually kept him awake, an indication that the girl might not have been in the house that night. He also mentioned that at one point there was a mysterious fire in his clothes closet um, earlier in the year and that he had been suspicious of Pearl's explanation at the time. He had stopped eating dinner with the family and kept Pearl at arm's length. Frank himself was also arrested around this time as he was supposedly the last person to see her alive. Pearl had apparently placed blame on Frank and told the police that he murdered Leona. And Frank told police that he hadn't seen the girl that morning after all. Additionally, it came to light that Fanny O'Laughlin, Leo's older daughter who didn't live in the home, had made a complaint to District Attorney Anthony Zarlingo that Pearl, that Pearl had once assaulted her and then beaten and choked her in the presence of their father, Yet, strangely enough, no action was taken on this complaint. Many people considered the story to be ridiculous and circumstantial at best, yet Captain Clark had dispatched two officers to retrieve the sugar bowl, which was found to contain ground glass and sugar mixed together. It wasn't until two local dogs and a cat died from supposedly eating food scraps from the O'Laughlin garage and the discovery of ground glass in their stomachs that the public began seeing Pearl in a more negative light. While Pearl was being held at the jail, she began making demands of the police officers. She said, quote, I want the pink dress that goes with the pink coat I wore when I came down here. I want some silk nightgowns because I couldn't get used to the ones furnished by the city. But above all, I want my vanity case with powder, rouge, mascara, and lipstick. You'll find it in the upper drawer of the dresser in my room at home. Some handkerchiefs, too. I could use a comb, don't you think? I might as well have my purse too, though there's little chance to spend money here. In an effort to try to get Pearl to confess, detectives tried a new tactic. They brought her into the morgue for a last look at her stepdaughter. At first, she only stared. Detectives told her it was time to tell them what she had done. She remained silent before yelling out, God, no, my soul is clean, and I'm not protecting anyone. She fell to her knees and made a sign of the cross over her chest and kissed the dead girl. Leo came to see Pearl after being discharged from the hospital, and while in her cell, he too asked her to tell the truth. She told him that she was innocent. At the funeral of Leona, her classmates attended and followed her coffin. Little Leona had a small rosebud clasped between her hands. 
In various questioning of possible witnesses, a neighbor named Ralph Santorno told detectives that he had seen two women carrying a large bundle from the home that evening and that they placed it into the trunk of a car. At this time, the hairdresser, Mrs. Sparra, was re-interviewed. She had previously indicated that she believed Leona, the 10-year-old girl, had committed suicide because she was prone to fits of rage, particularly over the school uniform that she had to wear and didn't like. Pretty strange statement to make about a young girl. They interviewed her for seven hours, and she remained adamant that she didn't know anything, despite hesitating at times. They were sure that she was lying. She was let go, and to their surprise, she reappeared the next morning with her attorney and more details. She said that Pearl had rushed to her home that night, two hours later than usual, and wasn't wearing any stocking, a detail that was later assumed to indicate that Pearl had waded out into the lake to dispose of the body of Leona. Not wearing stockings was an unusual fashion choice for the time. She was upset and demanded that the hairdresser make up an alibi for her if anyone wanted to know where she was that night. Pearl told the hairdresser that the reason for the alibi was that she had been with Mrs. Sorensen and had seen a doctor that she didn't want Leo to know about, so the hairdresser lied for her. When Mrs. Sorensen and the doctor were located, both of them denied seeing Pearl O'Loughlin at all that night. At the bail hearing of Pearl, she smiled at reporters from the Denver Post and told them, go ahead, boys, take my picture if you want to. Statements that Pearl had made in questioning were used to deny her bail. Statements like, I could tell you things, but I won't. I alone am to blame. Why make anyone more suffer? And I have done a great wrong. Let me atone for it the best I can. In one statement she said was, you can't hang me if I don't confess. You don't think I've been a detective's wife for two years for nothing. Her attorneys claimed that there were no such statements um, ever said by her and that anything said was under duress. The statements were not allowed in trial. The trial got a rough start due to courtroom antics and attempts to stall the case due to Pearl supposedly being ill. She showed up to court disheveled and barely able to move, and the judge wasn't sympathetic. He set the trial date as planned, and there was no extension. She later sent messages to her sister, and it seemed her chief concern was how she would look at subsequent trial dates. She told her sister to bring back her sla uh, black satin dress, her black hat, and some silk stockings. On the second day of trial, she entered the room and stared at her husband, holding up her left hand to show him that she was no longer wearing her wedding ring. The prosecution laid out their case, including the autopsy findings, the blood evidence inside the car, and the glass inside the stomach of the dead girl, as well as her father. They presented the testimony of Dennis O'Loughlin, as well as a potential motive. They stated that Pearl wanted to kill all three O'Loughlin family members, Dennis, his son Leo, and his daughter Leona, so that she could inherit Dennis's small fortune. During uh, following this, Leo himself took the stand and told the jury about coming home and finding out that his daughter was missing. He told about his painful hospital stay and about the ground glass that they found in his stomach. He also said that he had a premonition that Leona had been drowned because Pearl had frequently threatened to destroy her own child. He then turned to his wife, pointed to her from the stand, and said, You're guilty as hell. It's odd that he mentioned that she had drowned. Um, this was, like I said, another point of contention in this case of whether or not she um, was basically unconscious when she was thrown into the lake and then drowned, or whether she was thrown into the lake already asphyxiated. The defense team brought four character witnesses who testified as to the kindly nature of Pearl and to her good relationship with her stepdaughter. Curiously, they did not put the hairdresser on the stand who could have provided the only shaky alibi Pearl had. 
Pearl then requested that she be allowed to address the jury without any questions, cross-examination, or without being sworn under oath, and her audacious and illegal request was denied. The judge informed the jury that if Pearl were found guilty, it would be life in prison. There was no death penalty in 1930 unless there was a witness to the murder. In less than two hours, the all-male jury found Pearl O'Loughlin guilty. She was taken to Colorado State Penitentiary and stated, I haven't begun to fight. Justice will prevail in the end. Pearl and her attorneys took appeals to the Colorado Supreme Court under the ground of interrogation harassment and brutal hours of questioning leading to, leading to incriminating statements said by Pearl under duress. In the Colorado Supreme Court, in a 4-3 to three decision, the guilty verdict was upheld. Frank O'Loughlin had also been jailed solely on the statements of Pearl, and no evidence could be found linking him to the murder. Pearl indicated that she refused to testify against him in a trial, and the charges were dropped against him. While in jail, Pearl impressed the warden so much that she became a caretaker in his own home, and for nearly 20 years she cared for many children, as well as the warden's first wife before her death. In 1949, legal arguments sprung up across the United States regarding third-degree interrogation methods, and Pearl's case was at the forefront. It was revealed that her interrogation lasted hours into the night, and that at one point a detective told Pearl that he would hate to have to crack her neck. Because of the nationwide abandonment of third-degree methods, in January of 1951, almost 20 years after her conviction, Pearl's sentence was commuted from life imprisonment, and she became eligible for parole. In June of 1951, she was granted it. She was given $25 cash and a new outfit, and she returned to the warden's home to continue to work for him. After her parole ended, she moved to California and continued being a caregiver. Leo O'Loughlin died alone in 1956 after a third failed marriage, and many questions still remain about how and why Leona O'Loughlin was murdered. So, did they find the right killer? If it wasn't Pearl, why was there ground glass in their stomachs and the sugar bowl? Did Pearl have some kind of Munchausen by proxy syndrome or a morbid interest in making her family sick? Um, with the stunt of potentially lighting um, the clothes inside the closet of Frank on fire, maybe she had some bizarre morbid interest in pulling pranks. If she did kill Leona, what was the motive? I'm not necessarily buying that she planned on killing off the entire O'Loughlin family um, for her chance at an inheritance. Pearl had stated um, that she went home once to retrieve the heating pad and noticed the girl there after the coroner determined her time of death based on food digestion, but she later said that she didn't actually see the girl in bed and she didn't leave the hairdresser's house in return. She was only there once. So she lied about that, and there are three lost hours that were never accounted for by Pearl, and she never brought up what she was doing during that time. Who was the other woman that the neighbor saw? Did Pearl have help in this? We'll never know. And that concludes the murder of Leona O'Loughlin. Thanks, everybody. So I'll have a new episode out in a couple weeks, and I appreciate all the new likes on Facebook. I hope you enjoy the show. Please subscribe and rate it on iTunes. That would be a lot of help for me. So until next time, thank you.